The scripture reading this morning will be from Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, and that's on page 921 of the Pew Bibles. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns, and will build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for you for many years. Take your, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. We do wish you a good weekend. Many of us have a little extra time off this weekend, and it's for a good purpose and to help us focus in a memorial-type way, and let's make sure that we gain from being able to appreciate and have hearts of gratitude looking back as well as forward. And as we think about a weekend of gratitude and looking back, we also think about a topic of contentment, and that always helps us to look forward in the right direction. We're also excited about the announcement of, of Philip and Laura Jenkins, who will be joining us at the end of August to work in the position. Philip will be fu- fulfilling the position of the youth minister, and it is exciting to have uh, such a young man of such talent, such enthusiasm, and such past success. Uh, we are really blessed to be able to hire a young man of this caliber. His wife is also very excited and very supportive of the work that he is involved in in youth ministry. And we look forward to being able to uh, get to know him better and to work with him and to serve God together. And uh, be praying about all of that. It's Transitions are always important times in life, and when we think about it involving our youth, one of the most precious resources that we have, let's make sure that that we're petitioning God and His wisdom and all of that, and uh, say a prayer of thanksgiving that God has blessed us with the ability to bring in uh, such a man of such high caliber. Do continue to keep in mind the give a hand up. You can continue to stay updated about that work, the flood relief at giveahandup.com. Already more than 12 homes uh, have had in some way our involvement in their restoration, and that continues, and the need for workers continues. Keep in mind, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not only during the day, but also there will be evening crews that will go out. And, uh, and then if you want to work during the day also on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, there will be crews going out in the daytime of those days as well as the other three days previously mentioned. If you know ahead of time that you're going to be involved in one of those work crews, uh, be sure and send Buddy Pickler or JP uh, some kind of contact, an email, a phone call, uh, just to best organize it so that the greatest good can come out of the day and also so you can be informed of where to meet. Sometime the teams meet here at the church building 
building and go out. And other times they meet at the home that they're working. So uh, just stay in communication so that the greatest good can come about as a result of that. I've enjoyed the opportunity of studying the topic of stewardship this past month. We live in a world that is very much a part of living in this world is financial. You can't live in this world and not be concerned about money. A part of living in this world includes owning possessions. You can't live in this world and not own a few things. The bare minimum, perhaps, of some clothing, a little bit of food, maybe a place to put your head at night. But even at that, it involves possessions. And so the the whole study that we've been doing this month to try to consider what is God's will for us as stewards, that we'll be godly, that we'll be wise stewards, to understand the text that was just read, the beginning of that text, where life does not consist of the abundance of things that man possesses. And the close of that, the fool was rebuked because he was not rich toward God. And to realize that it is possible to have possessions and yet still be rich toward God. And finding that life, because that is the life that brings peace. That's the life that brings fulfillment. Is to say, I know why God has given me the money He's given me. I know why God has given me the possessions that He's given me. I know why He's given me the health, the opportunities, the relationships that He's given me. And when we understand the source of that, we also understand the greater purpose that all of those should fulfill. This morning, will you just kind of go along with me in this illustration for a moment? This illustration isn't about your neighbor. This is to you, okay? I've always wanted to own, fill in the blank, okay? I've always wanted to own, you got that in your mind? I was hoping this coming year to be able to buy. I was going to go shopping this weekend and and perhaps I was going to look for, think of a possession here. I've been thinking a lot lately about, Isn't it interesting how much time and how much our heart is oftentimes consumed with possessions? How do we balance this? You know, not many of us would probably want to say, I agree with that bumper sticker. The one who dies with the most toys wins. But yet, even though we might not be readily to agree with that, do we struggle of balancing the possessions, the right attitude, the right use of those possessions. What if I were to offer you a generous gift this morning? I would like to offer again, it's not for everybody here, I don't have enough to go around, but this is just for you. I would like to offer you, now you don't get to keep the nice silver tray, but I would like to offer you a pile of ashes. I'm sorry, I can tell by the look on your face, you're not impressed. Perhaps you wanted a larger pile of ashes? Would that, would that make you smile? Because there was hardly no smiles. There was no one that was really glad that, that you were going to receive this morning a, 
a pile of ashes. What's the difference in someone from a third world country this morning and Bill Gates on the day of judgment as it relates to the remains of their possessions? The only difference is the size of the pile of ashes. You want more? You can have a bigger pile of ashes when Jesus comes again. Do you not only recognize intellectually, but do you believe in the depths of your heart that all of these earthly things are temporal? None of them are given so that we can believe in them, so that we can trust in them. All of the things that we feel and that we touch on this earth, they are temporal. They're passing. Just as our life on this earth is passing, they're passing. In 2 Peter the third chapter and verse 10, we have a view of Judgment Day. And he says, now, so oftentimes, and rightfully so, we view Judgment Day thinking about me standing before God and giving an account. And that is so important. But have you ever thought, what is it going to be like to look over your shoulder? Because you remember, we have risen from earth into heaven, or at least into the sky, into the clouds to meet the Lord. And and that's where the scene of judgment. But what about that earth that we've left behind? What about that, fill in the blank, that you've always wanted? What about that, that special cabin? What about that house? What about that car? What about the newest technology? What about that wardrobe? What about the name brands? What about all of the things that so oftentimes drive us to where we really think, it's not going to be me if I don't have it. I'm not going to be content if I don't have it. I want to fill out a place if I don't have it. It's just some ashes. Look in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Maybe the fire will be so hot that it won't even be a pile of ashes. But you see the point. The point is that it all is temporal. It is all passing. There has to be a greater purpose in our possessions than just to gain more. Rockefeller once said, I know of nothing more despicable and pathetic than a man who devotes all the hours of the waking day to the making of money for money's sake. I think about the game of Monopoly and I think about a book that John Ortberg wrote. And he talked about in the beginning of this book that this was a childhood memory for him. Him and his grandmother not only enjoyed playing Monopoly, they had fierce games of Monopoly. They both hated to lose. And they would talk about the battles that they had for Boardwalk or Park Place or the such-like properties. And he said even after those, those ferocious battles were finished and one became the owner of everything and one lost everything, he said, I noted something. When it was all over, you folded everything back up and it all went back into the box. Friends, do you realize that we're on this earth for a short while. And the possessions, they're in our use for a short while. And when we breathe our last breath, we don't take them with us. And when the Lord comes again, they're all going to be burned up. You see, 
the point this morning that I need to gain as we introduce this lesson is you just can't trust in them. They're temporal. There's nothing of substance, even though we see a world that is driven by them. Can they be good? If we choose to do good with possessions, they can be a wonderful blessing. Can they bring harm? If we use them in the wrong way, they can bring us literally to become worshipers of idols and, for, and miss the purpose that which we were otherwise fulfilled to live in our life. As we think about Luke, the 12th chapter, I want you to just notice on the screen 17, 18, and 19. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it again. We've mentioned this for several weeks. Notice all the personal pronouns. Notice about 12 or 14 times when he had such a, a bumper crop, he talked about what it was going to do for him, and he talked about what his plans were. He never talked about God's plan. He never talked about how he was going to use it for a blessing toward others. Instead, it was all about him, which reminds us of our topic this morning of contentment. And that is just this simple point. Contentment isn't, isn't about you. In other words, what we have to realize is that if we're ever going to be content, that there is something much more important on this earth than you. There's the Almighty Father who has made us and we're invited to become a part of His family. And as part of this Christian family, we're a part of a cause that is so much more important than any of us individually. Our life is worth giving up all for the advancement of God's glory. Now we look at 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, probably some of the richest writings where we see several verses back to back. And we could this morning study almost every bit of 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. But I'd like for us to spend most of our time this morning just picking out a few verses here and noticing some great, great messages that God gives us as it pertains to contentment. Now I'd like for you to think about just this simple fact. And, and that is, contentment is believing that we have enough. Greed is believing that we do not have enough and that there is more that has to be gained or we won't be happy, we won't be fulfilled. Now, that is somewhat, if you will, an accurate, but also a little bit of a secular definition. Because when we look at it from a spiritual standpoint, contentment is not only believing we have enough, But contentment is believing that we have what God wants us to have and we use it as He would want it to be used. In past studies this month, we talked about the fact that when we belong to God, the very first thing we do is say, I'm giving back the first part to God. We talked about also how we provide for our families, but we also talked about early this month, we talked about how that we give generously to those who are in need. In other words, we realize that God gives us what we have to be used in a righteous fashion. So what is this about contentment where God places it in our hands and we realize that if God's the source of it and His wisdom, He's given us what we need, how is it to be used? Notice, let's begin reading at verse 6 and let's pick up on some of these great uh, messages of truth here. And in the sixth verse, I'd like for you to notice, first of all, great virtues. We're going to see two great virtues here in verse 6. We're in 1 Timothy, it's page 1055 and the Bible's in the pew or you can see it here on the screen. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, it's no surprise that when we talk about money, we talk about profit, great gain. 
Any of you that have studied business in school, any of you that have operated a business, any of you that work for a corporation and, and your job is to increase profits, you know this very well, that if a company cannot continue to produce a profit, it cannot stay in business. You know that as you operate your personal finances, if you cannot make sure that the income exceeds the outgo, you will file for bankruptcy. We're not talking about business as if it is a negative or sinful thing. It's not that at all. It's to simply realize that money, profits, and businesses are not a place to place your trust, your hope. That is not what guides us through life. The source of all this is the one who guides us in life. So, what are some virtues here? Godliness, to be like God in our thinking, in the way we live, in our conduct, our heart, our mind. Godliness with what? Verse 6, he said, with contentment. They go hand in hand. Godliness with contentment is a great profit. But notice this great truth as we read verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Job was the richest man of his land. I'm going to go on a limb and say that there's nobody here that had any that has any kind of wealth like Job had. Odds are most of us here can't even imagine the wealth that Job had. He was the richest man in his land, and all of this was evaporated in a day. And you know what he said at the end of that day? I came into this world naked and with nothing, and I'll go out with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You think he understood? You think he understood that his life was all about God, not about possessions? Now, was it sinful for him to be the richest man in the land? No, not at all. Do you think he used it very wisely? I would think that he did because the introduction to this man was that he was an upright man and one who eschewed evil and that he was godly. In other words, God can look at this man and the way that he conducted his business and he could say, I praise this man. But when all of that was wiped away, you know who Job was? Job. Now that may sound insignificant to you, but I've just said something that's powerful. I said something that if all of us here would grasp it, it would change many of our lives. You are not the house you live in. You are not the clothes you wear. You are not the car you drive. And our American way is to find our identity based on our possessions. If I can just live in this neighborhood one day, if I can just drive that car one day, if I can just become friends with those people one day. And you know what? That's a terrible way to live. Starting to put our hope starting to put our identity based upon things instead of based upon who our God is and who we are. It's for certain. Verse 7 teaches us a great truth. We were born with nothing. And we're leaving nothing, or we're taking nothing with us. We leave it all behind. We don't have time to develop this point, but I'd like to remind any of you that that want to think about this a little deeper. Think about Matthew, the sixth chapter, where we store up treasures in heaven, where neither rust nor moth doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see the fact is we were born naked. We came into this earth with nothing. We're going to leave this earth with nothing. But you know what the Bible teaches us? We can send a lot ahead. 
We can send great treasures ahead. Because when we give generously, when we use our resources as God has asked us to, we're literally sending treasure ahead of us. We can't take it with us, but it can be waiting for us. I think of the illustration, and I know I've used this to you before, but this is one of those that that this illustration helps me remain focused on God's principles on a day-to-day basis. There was a wealthy man that gave generous amounts of money to many causes. And during the Great Depression, he lost all that he had. Walking around now as a very average man, he was walking with a friend one day across a campus, and he passed a building that had his name on it. And his friend said to him, I bet you wish now that you had kept some of that money that you'd given away. And immediately his answer was, no. Don't you realize, everything I kept, I lost. The only things that remained were the things that I had given away. Please get this simple truth. You will never do greater good with what God has given you, than to use it to serve Him and others. Now obviously we're going to have to use a portion of our income for other things. We need to feed our families or we would be worse than an infidel. We need to store up some so that we can have for when times are not as plentiful, or Proverbs would tell us we would be a fool. We will need to spend and save and use our money for other things. But rest assured on this, we will never do greater good with our money than when we give it to God and to those who are in need. Look at the third thing as we look at verse 8 here. We're going to look at some boundaries. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to preach this because it's the truth. I'm not going to preach this because I believe it would be easy for any of us here Someone says, well, if I want to be content the way God wants me to be content, where do I really set those boundaries of contentment? Here's what God says. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. I want to challenge you to take this verse with you this week. I want to encourage you to pray about it. I want to encourage you to be determined that you will find God's will for you in your life, in your attitude, and in your heart. How oftentimes do we say, I need? Oh, I, I need a new fill-in-the-blank. When maybe if we were godly, instead we would say, I'd like to have... But if I don't ever obtain it, I'm fine. I'm still blessed. Friends, do you realize when we talk about contentment, contentment is based on attitude. Contentment is not based on, do you have a lot or do you have a little? If your idea is rich people don't have to worry about contentment and and, and those who are poor, that's not true at all. 
This has nothing to do with how old you are. Whoa, only the young people have to worry about being greedy. No, this doesn't matter what continent you were born on. This is something that applies to all of us. Can we be content by saying, Lord, if you give me food, and if you give me clothing, I will find contentment in those things. Now, does God choose to give us more than that? I think for many of us here, He does. But still the question is, what's our attitude toward those additional blessings? Does God owe us that? How will we use it? Let's look at these warnings, if you will, in verse 9. We see another great lesson, except this one's sad, and and it's a great pain. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and in me foolish and harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. If your child or grandchild said to you, Oh, I want to be rich. Would you correct them? Or have we become so secular in our view of possessions that we would just think, oh, that's good. I hope my grandchild's rich. What if your, da- your granddaughter said to you, I want to become a prostitute? Would you correct them? Or would you think that, well, the morality has been slipping in America and so... I guess if that's what she wants to do with her life, that's fine. Friends, what does the Lord say about those topics? What does the Lord say about the desire to be rich? I want to be rich. Why do people buy lottery tickets? Why? Do you buy a lottery ticket and hope that you can pay next month's mortgage? I I don't know of anybody that would have ever bought a lottery ticket for that reason. Why? They want to be rich. What about the desire to be rich? He says, it's a trap that when you fall into it, you drown in destruction. What is it linked to? Well, it's linked to not only a great pain, but it's linked to a great sorrow. Look at the next verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. A few verses back, he says, I want you to have godliness with contentment. And now he says, let me tell you a danger. Love of money and greed. We are either going to serve God or mammon, but we can't serve both. We're either going to be content or we're going to be greedy, but we can't be both. And so someone says, well, what's the big problem with a little bit of love for money? All sorts of evil are tied to the love of money. And as we consider this, I'd like for us as we move this lesson toward a close to wrap up with 17, 18, and 19. Look at these three verses. And he says, I want to give you a command in 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust. And what's interesting is that word trust there is the same word that many times in the New Testament, as a matter of fact, it's almost every other time in the New Testament, it's translated hope. You know, we talk about, I place my hope in God. And so now he's saying, he's warning the haughty, 
not to place their hope in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to obey. So now we study about a great commandment. What's that great commandment? Don't be haughty. I'd like to tell you that I could probably drive around as the owner of an $85,000 car and that I wouldn't be haughty. I would like to believe that. But you know, after a month or so of driving around in an $85,000 car, I might find out that it's a little bit harder to do than what I thought. Would you agree that that's a possibility? That it might be tempting? When's the last time you've been getting out of your car at any place, a grocery store, shopping, work, whatever, and you look at someone else getting out of another car and your first thought might be negative toward them simply because of their car and maybe the noise it was making when it drove up, the way it was smoking, the decades of age. You see, you don't have to have an $85,000 car to be haughty. When's the last time you looked over at someone and thought the way they were dressed? I would never wear that. I can't believe they would wear that. Are you doing that because of modesty or are you doing that because of haughtiness? By the world's definition, everybody here is rich. And he says, I want to give a command to those who are rich. Don't be haughty. And then he says a shift here. Instead, put your hope in the living God. Anytime you and I start judging other people based upon their possessions, we have stopped putting our hope in the one who is the source of the possessions and we've started putting our hope in the possessions. Now, did you get that? The problem with haughtiness is we put our hope in the possession, not in the source of the possession. What if, you, what if this was a sink right here and we go and, and we turn it on, there's no water coming out. Now what if this source of water is connected to a well? Would your first thought be, I need to change the faucet? Or would your thought be, maybe the well's gone dry? We live in a world where everybody's concerned about the faucet. And it seems like there's very few people concerned about the source of it. Do you realize that the source of all that we have is God? And we put our source in God and we rely upon God. And when we do that, we don't fall into haughtiness. We don't start looking down at those who don't have as much as we. My dad is one of the wisest men I've ever known. And I grew up hearing him explain in this way. Son, there are a lot of good people who are poor. They simply haven't had the opportunities and the resources in life that others have had. But don't judge someone by their possessions. Friends, you know what the difference is on the day of judgment 
and Bill Gates and you as it relates to possessions? The only difference as it relates to possessions on this earth is going to be the size of the pile of ashes. And so it's with that in mind that he says in 18, a great investment. Let them do good that they be rich in good works. Now remember Luke 12? Remember he wasn't rich toward God? And now he writes and he says to the rich, don't be haughty. Instead, put your hope in God. And in that, why? You can use all that he's given you so that you can be rich in good works. In other words, you can see that it's all a tool to do good. And that's why he closes 18 by saying, ready to give, willing to share. Have you seen people, and it doesn't matter if in your mind's eye they're they're wealthy or they're not. But have you seen people that they seem to always be willing to share? I had a person tell me the other day, said, hey, there's going to be good that's going to be done towards this particular individual. I need a list of ten people that you know that would give. You would probably be surprised if you saw the list that I put together of ten people that I knew would give. Because if you looked around this auditorium right here, you wouldn't pick out most of them because it won't be based on the car they drive. It won't be based on the house they live in. And it won't be based on their age. Lest you think, oh, I bet it was a bunch of rich retirees. Friends... There is a willingness to give that has nothing to do with what a person possesses. It has to do with whether or not they live a life of contentment or a life of greed. And then finally, verse 19, storing up. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Think about that. You're storing up what? For a good foundation. What's that? We use what we have. We're willing to share. We're willing to give. Why? We're content believing that what we have is enough. Don't ever make this mistake. Once I make more money, I'm going to start giving too. No, you won't. When you make more money, you're going to give just like you're giving now. Oh, if I ever win a sweepstakes, I'm going to... No, you're not. What you do right now is what you'll do when you have more. God's not concerned about the hundred that you'll do with later. He's concerned with the dollar that you have now. And what does He say? Store up so you can do what? Lay hold on eternal life. Now, I want to emphasize this. This is not David. It would sound cheap and it would sound cheesy if it were me. But you just read it. It's in the Bible. You want to be concerned about having a stake in eternal life? You want to be concerned about saying, I want to know that my name is written in the book of life, that I have a mansion reserved for me. You know what God ties that in with? What are you doing with your money now? If your money is all about you, God says you've not laid hold on eternal life. You've not sent anything ahead. You have no investment there. You have nothing stored up. This morning, contentment, being thankful for what we have. See, greed is not thankful for what you have. It's always concentrating on what you don't have. Contentment, realizing that the source of what we have is God. He's placed in our hands and He can place more right behind it. He wants us to do good with what we have. And this morning, in this month, I hope that we trust God with all that we are. Those in Macedonia who in the depths of their poverty gave liberality, 
He says that they first gave themselves to God. That's the key. First give ourselves to God. It's about our heart, not just about money. This morning, have you given yourself to God? If we can help you in any way with that, if you want to be immersed into Christ or, or if you have been immersed into Christ and you want to come back home, if there is any way that, that we can help you this morning, we'd love to.